The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. No woman here today. Two men, unless we have any women callers, which we welcome. Uh, for now, we're going to start out with myself, Mark Grimaldi, the executive producer of The Leslie Marshall Show, and I am joined by a good friend of the show. Uh, many of you will have heard him before. If not, you're in for a treat today, Nicholas Wapshot. He is the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. His newest book is titled The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationist, and the Road to World War II. You can find it at www.norton.com forward slash books and amazon.com. Nicholas, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be here, Mark, as always. So today, what I wanted to talk about with uh, all of you in our audience and Nicholas as well, is what, what I kind of see as, I guess you would say, Donald Trump spewing out hate to xenophobic hate specifically basically appealing to the lowest common denominator and the republican primary voters just eating it up um based on the latest polls where he now has uh taken over ben carson in double digits in two of the latest polls and as we get into that we're going to play some audio for those of you who did not hear uh, Donald Trump's statement last, uh, I believe it was Thursday evening, regarding he was asked by uh, a reporter from NBC News about creating a database for uh, American Muslims. Um, Here's that clip. We should have a lot of systems, and today you can do it. But right now we have to have a border, we have to have strength, we have to have a wall. And we cannot let what's happening to this country happen in the world. Oh, I would certainly implement that. Absolutely. What do you think the effect of that would be? How would that work? It would stop people from coming in illegally. We have to stop people from coming in to our country illegally. Muslims specifically, how do you actually get them registered into a database? It would be just good management. What you have to do is good management procedures. And we can do that. That's nice. Do you you go to mosques and sign these people up? Different places. You sign them up at different, but it's all about management. Our country has no management. Who's is that? Would they have to legally be in this database? Would they be there? They have to be. They have to be. Let me just tell you that the key is people can come to the country, but they have to come in legally. Thank you very much, Mr. Trump. Why would Muslim databases not be the same thing as requiring Jews to register in Nazi Germany? What would be the difference? Is there a difference between the two? Is there a difference? Who are you with? I'm with NBC News. Is there a difference between requiring Muslims to register and Jews? You tell me. Germany? You tell me. What Do you believe? Why don't you tell me? Do you believe there is? You tell me. Should Muslims be, I mean, fearful? Will there be consequences if they don't register? So that was Thursday. Since then, Trump has doubled down on that idea as well as creating a database for Syrian refugees surveilling mosques, and the latest, he wants to bring back something that Dick Cheney loved. I think waterboarding is peanuts compared to what they do to us, what they're doing to us, what they did to James Foley when they chopped off his head. That's a whole different level, and I would absolutely bring back 
uh, interrogation. Okay, so he wants to bring back waterboarding, and in the hysteria that he's creating, uh, for those of you that didn't hear, uh, there was a Black Lives Matter protester that interrupted a Trump rally over the weekend. Trump, you can hear in this clip, is heard shouting, uh, get rid of him, I believe he said. And during uh, that, there were supporters of Donald Trump's almost all-white audience, it was reported as, who punched and kicked the protester. And Trump later was asked about it. And uh, you can hear what he says. He doesn't sound uh, very um, very much like he condone, uh, doesn't condone it, I should say. He, he initially made it sound like he did not condone the actions. But then you hear uh, this comment from him, which uh, makes it think that uh, maybe he should have been roughed up, Trump says. The man that was, uh, was yeah. I don't know, you say roughed up, he was so obnoxious and so loud, he was screaming. I had 10,000 people in the room yesterday, 10,000 people, and this guy started screaming by himself. And they, did, I don't know, rough up, he should have been, maybe he should have been roughed up because it was absolutely disgusting what he was doing. This was not handled the way Bernie Sanders handled, handled his problem, I will tell you. But mm-hmm. I have a lot of fans, and they were not happy about it. And this was a very obnoxious guy who was a troublemaker who was looking to make trouble. But I didn't get to see the event. And last but not least, over the weekend, we have protesters in Texas carrying shotguns uh, gathering at a Texas mosque to, quote-unquote, show force. Nicholas, what the hell is going on in America? It's deeply depressing, isn't it, Mark? Uh, I don't know where to start. We are absolutely at rock bottom now when it comes to argument. It seems that Trump, who, by the way, is not quite as smart as he thinks he is, is he? If you look at his vocabulary, it's very small. Right. He he repeats himself endlessly. But what he's echoing is something which is going on among Americans. It's not Trump alone. It's not as if Trump's leading them. What is Trump is actually following them. He's following the mob. And it's, uh, it's a chilling and horrible thing to hear... But the United States of America, which has, from its foundation, been the home for refugees, particularly of religious tolerance, particularly. I mean, the, 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 uh, the Puritans who came here were escaping what they thought was intolerant Britain. So the whole nation was founded on it. The whole nation was founded on immigrants. I don't know when the Trumps finally washed up on the shore, but they were immigrants too. I mean, no one apart from the Native Americans came from here. And he's defying all of that. Then he's moving into, we're, we're getting into fascist territory, when we're saying, don't listen to the guy, beat him up. That's, it's beyond reason. It's also so bad politics. The good politics is actually when the Univision guy stood up and said, answer my question, is to charm the pants off him and show how decent you are. It is not to say, uh, you know, give him a kick from me, which is effectively what Trump said about that. That he was obnoxious. He's already said 10,000 people in the hall, and there's one guy shouting out, I, I best ignore him, don't you think, Donald? The whole thing is just beyond belief. But as I say, the chilling thing to me is not so much that there's a chancer like Donald Trump trying to take advantage of this state of affairs. It's the fact that so many Americans, uh, they appear to be, it's because they say they support him, and, or they support Ben Carson, who's, who thinks very similar things, by the way. Uh, we're talking about more than 50% of people who call themselves a Republican voter 
are prepared to tolerate such vile nonsense. It's, I think it, it's deeply depressing that so many people, you know, let's say it's a quarter of the nation, think these terrible things. It's, it's beyond belief to me. I think that was what stood out to me as I was reading the news since Thursday all the way up until this morning, Nicholas. At first it was just, you know, it's not just Trump. And as you said, the storyline really is the people that are supporting him. It's almost like a vicious cycle. They have these thoughts and actions Trump is listening to them and kind of raising the stakes and his excuse always is, oh, I'm not politically correct. And then he can just spew his hate under that, you know, mantra, I guess you could say. And then they come back and support him in the latest, you know, two polls. He's got a double digit lead over Ben Carson, um, 32 to 22 percent in a new poll by The Washington Post and ABC News. And in a new Fox News poll, which take it for what it's worth, but it is a Republican primary, he's leading uh, uh, Carson 28 to 18 percent. So it's the story really is that the Republican Party is supporting this and a large percentage of the Republican Party is supporting this. And I think it's it's depressing is one word. Yes, absolutely. I feel depressed when I read this because it's you can't you can't ignore it anymore. The narrative that. Trump was just going to go away uh, and that he was some outsider that, um, you know, basically would just be kind of pushed out by a more, quote unquote, serious candidate is not happening. Um, If anything, the more outrageous his statements, the higher he goes in the polls. So I I think it can no longer be explained away um, that he's just some summer fad. I mean, we're we're coming up on Thanksgiving. So the next question is, you know, what do the legitimate uh, candidates in the room have to say about this situation of, of what's going on uh, around the world and in America. But uh, before we get any further with that, I do want to uh, take our first break. And if you'd like to talk with Nicholas or myself, if you want to react to the statements you've heard uh, by Donald Trump since uh, this past Thursday, there were a lot of them. I know we kind of threw a lot of them at you quickly. Um, many of you have heard them before, but some of you are hearing them for the first time. So just to recap, uh, on Thursday evening, the first clip you heard, uh, Trump was asked about creating a registry for all American Muslims and says that he would do it. When asked about it, he did not back down from those statements. He also wants to have surveillance on mosques in the United States. Then, uh, most recently, he said he wanted to bring back uh, a Cheney favorite, uh, Rumsfeld favorite, waterboarding, which has been proven uh, not to work to actually produce false information. Ask John McCain if you don't believe me. Um, And then you have uh, a Trump protester, uh, a Black Lives Matter protester, who was kicked and punched all along while Trump was yelling on the microphone to get rid of him. And then when told about what happened, because he didn't see it closely, apparently, he said maybe he should have been roughed up. Um, And then you have these people carrying shotguns outside of mosques in, in Texas. So what do you think about all this behavior? What do you think it says that after all this, Trump has gotten a spike in the polls with Republican voters? Uh, you're welcome to call and comment. The number to do so is 8886 That's 888 I'm joined again by Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. Uh, his newest book is The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and The Road to World War II. And this is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer. We will be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, filling in for Leslie today. Again, I'm joined by Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor for Newsweek. We're going to be taking your calls in just a second. Uh, for those of you who haven't joined us yet, you heard the audio that we played of Donald Trump. We want to know what your reactions are to the latest comments. Um, and what do you make of the fact that he's spiking in the polls after these comments? Is that evidence that today's Republican primary voters are as hate-filled as Trump is? As you heard Nicholas say, he's I think Nicholas is right. He's more of a reaction to these voters and this sentiment versus uh, causing it. Um, you know, the other thing I'm wondering is, do you think he'll win the Republican nomination? Uh, I think the idea that he'd eventually shoot himself in the foot with all the radical things that he says seems to be going in the exact opposite direction, um, really because the more extreme and hateful his comments are, the higher he seems to go in the polls. Um, and if he does win, you know, Nicholas started to go into the politics of it. How do you think Hillary, Bernie, or O'Malley even would fare against him? Um, I mean, won't they cream him with independent voters who are disgusted by his, you know, his comments? Um, so if you'd like to join us, the number to do so is 8886-LESLIE. First, uh, today we're joined by our good friend Paul in Washington. Paul, thanks for calling in. Go ahead with your thoughts. Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I really resonate with something Nicholas said, that Trump is 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 really leading from behind. He's behind this this mob of, uh, this angry mob, sort of egging them on with a bullhorn. He's not leading anything, but what's ironic is that as his popularity, at least his poll popularity, seems to have, you know, even, even grown some over the months, uh, he and Ben Carson to some degree, with this practicing this, this xenophobia rhetoric, uh, whereas in the beginning, other Republican candidates sort of decried his outrageous remarks, but now they've gone to this, part, this, this point where they've come to this point where, well, I guess if you can't beat him, join him. So they've they've done much the same thing. I mean, John Kasich offering the idea that we should establish a Department of Judeo-Christian Values. Jeb Bush being so ridiculous to say that there's he didn't really think about what kind of religious test there would be uh, for refugees. I suppose to to sort the Christians from yeah. the Muslims. I, I mean that 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 was such an embarrassing moment from him, for him. He hadn't thought that one through, and neither has anyone thought the idea through that. You know, they they say, well, at first they said we can't vet these these refugees. We don't have the resources. And and then when it was pointed out that yes, we do have the resources, they say, well, we don't have accurate information coming from Syria. I just laughed. I thought, well, can, what, what refugee situation are they imagining where there's accurate information coming from the origin of the crisis? That, you what? know, I, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was arguing with someone off the show, completely unrelated to the show the other day, and that was my exact response. You know, I didn't look it up. I didn't see, okay, what's a good response to this? I was just thinking to myself, yeah, uh, like Assad is keeping records on the people he's dropping barrel bombs on. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, whether it's a whether it's a war zone or a natural, a natural disaster, um, you know, the people are leaving because the government services are collapsed. I mean, are you thinking that you're going to call up uh, Damascus and say, "Oh yes, we have uh, Mr. Ali Bobby here. He's about five foot seven. They got dark hair, dark <laughs> eyebrows, brown eyes." Uh, you know, what do you think you're going to get? I mean, this is—it's absurd. Every refugee situation of any kind, you don't have accurate information about anything in the or at the origin of this of the crisis because yeah. things have been wiped out unless you're right there on the ground you don't know nicholas go ahead and the silly thing is of course that it's the refugees who are uh, checked and double checked and treble checked 
to get in as a terrorist through the refugee channel is the most difficult already. Right. So, to, to tighten, so that's why it's just grandstanding. It's not as if there's anything that can be done that's going to make any difference to the refugees. If you really want to find out the easiest way to get into the country is to use a visa waiver form from the European Union or one of many countries around the world where just you get on the plane and you say, this is me and I'm coming. And then you're in. You're in. You're already on the plane. So if you want to get panicky about uh, terrorists arriving on planes, that's a good way to do it, I suppose. But, it, but it, 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 this is just panic-mongering, though, isn't it? This is just, as you say, xenophobic jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, and it's uh, like many of the Republican issues. It's sort of invented. It's totally invented. Sure, there's world terrorism, but it's got nothing to do with refugees. The part that frustrates me, both Paul and Nicholas, is that all of that is correct. We can we can look to actual facts. Okay, we have 12 to 18 month uh, waiting a period for refugee applications. That's the average. Syrians wait longer. They wait between 18 and 24 months. Paul already hit on the point of, of course, you're not going to have paperwork for them. We know all of these things as hardcore facts, yet a a larger percentage of Americans right now say they would rather not take in Syrian refugees. So is the bullhorn just working, or what what do you think? Paul, go ahead. You start. Well, well, I was, uh, you know, just I want to point out one thing. We're we're getting, the again, the tactic of, uh, we hear uh, many on the right who are arguing, well, you know, if one-tenth of one percent of this 10,000 that Obama wants to come in are terrorists, well, that's letting in ten terrorists right there. That's half of 9-11, and, and it only took eight in uh, Paris to cause all this, this havoc. But So this is this tactic of, of taking a, large, uh, the, a small percentage, uh, a, you know, a fractional percentage of a large number, and saying that the number you end up with is, is simply unacceptable. Well, one, one terrorist is unacceptable, but what they don't point out is that if I were to do the same and say, well, let's say I could go one magnitude lower and say, if one one-hundredth of one percent of the 100 million gun owners in this country are dangerously mentally ill and shouldn't have a gun, that's 10,000 people in this country right now who shouldn't have a gun and obviously do shoot the country up regularly, and that's even a thousand times more than the 10 that they're worried about. So this this tactic is being used to to give people on the right a sense that they have some some mathematical facts to work with here. You know, it's sort of ridiculous. Paul, I need to carry you around. You're going to be my lifeline for when I argue with right wingers uh, off the show. I'm going to keep you. I want to keep you on for one more segment here with Nicholas and I, but we have to take a break. Uh, if you'd like to join in with Nicholas or myself, the number to do so is eight 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 six Leslie. That's eight 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 six five three seven five four three. This is Mark Grimaldi and Nicholas Wapshot in for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer. I am joined today by good friend of the show, Nicholas Wapshot, who is the opinion editor of Newsweek. He's also an author. Uh, his newest book is titled The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and the Road to World War II. You can find his book at www.norton.com forward slash books. Uh, or Amazon.com. Before the break, we were talking with Paul in Washington. Paul, I wanted to let you uh, finish up. The other thing I think you were starting to um, get to besides uh, the refugee process was kind of, you know, where the Republican Party is kind of driving the debate and what that means. Um, but you and uh, both you and Nicholas were starting to get to um, what that would mean for a general election. But before we get to there, I wanted you to uh, go ahead and finish your thoughts on the uh, original point, Paul. Uh, Mark, this is not Paul. 
Sorry, Michael. Let me come back to you. That is my bad. I believe Paul is Paul online too, Andrew. Okay. I was like, that doesn't sound like Paul. We'll come to you in a minute, Michael. Paul, sorry about that. Go ahead. Right, right. I'm there. Uh, okay. Well, I, I, in terms of the election, you know, uh, it, it's hard to say who could get the nomination um, because the other, I, I suppose the other than Trump and Carson, the 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 I suppose standard issue candidates have. Like I said they, they, before, they, they've sort of joined in on this, this xenophobia. That, that's what the point was. I was trying to think during the break. They're, they're reacting to Trump, and it, feel, it seems like at times they want to start to lead their own narrative, but they're almost forced to respond to him because of you know how outrageous the things he, he says are. If they try to challenge him, he you know bullies them more, as you've seen. John Kasich has seemed uh, willing to engage with him during the debates, but it remains to be seen you know how successful that has been. Um, kind of a funny antidote I heard uh, was after Kasich brought up the idea of, of Paul, you said the Judeo-Christian uh, organization that the government would run. Uh, Lindsey Graham, of all people, said, we tried that already. It was called the Crusade. I don't know if you heard that comment, but I thought it was kind of funny. Um, But, uh, Nicholas, what do you think about the point that Paul brought up, um, how the other candidates have been reacting to Trump? Can you think that there's anything more miserable right now than being a moderate conservative in the Republican Party? (laughs) I mean, you know, if they're not bald already, they're tearing their hair. They they do not know what to do. Uh, Now, it turns out there was a good report in the Wall Street Journal last week saying that a whole bunch of them, uh, the, the sort of Bushes and Rubios of this world, uh, together with the Chambers of Commerce, which is really the establishment of the uh, Republican Party, uh, the Northeastern business lot, they are all piling in with enormous amounts of money for the early primaries in order to try to kick Trump out. Now, that sounds a great idea if you're a moderate uh, Republican. The difficulty is, as you saw on Sunday morning, maybe, when uh, George Stephanopoulos asked Trump, hey, these people are ganging up on you. Uh, Does that mean that your independent run is back on the cards? And he said, well, I just asked to be treated fairly. So that piece of paper that he wrote three months ago saying, hey, I won't run independently, is not worth the paper it wasn't written on, if you see what I mean. I mean, he is prepared to... If he doesn't get the nomination uh, through legitimate means, I'm sure that he's quite prepared to go in for a spoiler. We must work out what Trump is there for. Trump really doesn't want to be the president of the United States. I think that would be actually a horror show for him. It would show all of the, you know, I mean, we, we know he's an inadequate person. He has about 5% of the requirement of being a good uh, chief executive of the United States. It ain't going to happen. On the other hand, he's got, uh, it's, it, it's good for him to run. He, he gets a lot of uh, kudos out of it. He's, uh, his brand, you know, this horrible commercial notion that his brand is getting bigger by the week, which is true. And if he runs as an independent, that, that uh, bandwagon just rolls on and on and on. But goodness me, the, the old-fashioned, I think it might be that uh, John McCain was the last reasonable Republican that ever appeared on a Republican ticket, which is a broader thing which we might get onto later in the hour of this time, which is, I wonder whether the Republican Party is really a party anymore. It's just a sort of rag bag of angry voters, what they have to be angry about. They live in the greatest country in the world. They, they are protected by democracy. They have, uh, for goodness sake, they have universal health care now. They have all sorts of things that all the other countries have, but they are Americans, for goodness sake. And somehow they're angry. And all of that group uh, who oppress this, this, the minority within Congress who prevent government working altogether, they are anarchistic. It turns out that they're not in favor of government per se. Uh, they might say that they're in favor of the 
founding fathers. But the founding fathers set up the executive. The founding fathers actually wanted the country to work. They didn't want there to be no federal government, otherwise they might have mentioned it. Instead, they wrote it into stone. So I'm not quite sure what the, uh, the serious Republicans, if you like, uh, are thinking. I, I think they, a lot of it's tribal. They're going to be stuck there. But come the day, if Trump is the Republican, and it's against, it really doesn't matter which Democrat, but let's assume it's going to be Hillary, a lot of, as you quite rightly point out, Mark, a lot of independents are going to vote for Hillary. They might hold their nose and vote for her, but they will vote for her rather than for Trump. And a great swathe of Northeastern liberal and uh, even Californian uh, liberal Republicans will be voting for Hillary, too. Anyone but Trump, A-B-T. I think that's a very good point. I mean, Paul, I, I think Nicholas brings up a, a lot of interesting points. One is where is the Republican Party heading? Uh, I think we've known about this for a while. If you remember, um, after President Obama beat Mitt Romney, a lot of talk you heard the next day uh, on the you know Republican circles, if you were listening to Fox News, which is my favorite day to watch Fox News, is after they lose the Republican presidential election. Because oh, yes, it's like yeah. the, well, the, and, and election night left. Last 2012, when uh, Carl Rove. Uh, oh, was that so- the best thing ever? Oh my God! <laughs> John Stewart, the way he he reported it was probably one of my favorite clips of his when he was still on the air for but, the Daily but, Show. Um, but the thing I wanted to bring up about that, well, Paul, you go ahead. I heard you wanted to start, and then I want to bring up one other point. Well, I was going to respond to Nicholas, but my question is, where do these, you know, where do these Trump supporters, these Trump and Carson supporters, go? Uh, at any given point when either it looks like uh, either Trump or Carson, they don't get the nomination, or they outright they get the nomination but outright lose the election because I don't think either one of them has a just has a chance, you know, in hell in in, in winning the election. I wonder, do these these sort of angries, do they go away and not come back and become the no, the non turnouts in 2018 and you know and and just say, well, if you can't. If you can't win on uh, gay marriage and you can't win on abortion and Trump can't win and we can't exercise all of our, you know, all of our anger all at once, then do they finally just go away? Because I, I really that, that would be my that would be my preference. I pray for that, but I don't think so. Nicholas, <laughs> what do you think? Well, I mean, hey, first of all, there's the if Trump or Carson falls out, there's uh, Ted Cruz who's True. hanging around with a very large net, hoping to catch as many falling voters as possible. It's a very interesting, unstated pact, isn't it? That Cruz does not criticize Trump or Carson oh, and yeah. vice versa. Oh yeah, they, he goes know. so out of his way not to. It's uncomfortable yeah. watching. So, um, so he, he, he stands to gain, uh, but but even that, I mean, you think Ted Cruz could beat Hillary? I really don't think no, so. No, I. Same I, reasons. If you if you're just you're George H. W. Bush, okay? Uh, are you going to vote for Ted Cruz? You could not vote for Cruz. You'd rather not vote than vote for Cruz. It's it, it's impossible because I think that those moderate Republicans have. Uh, discovered that actually they've had their party stolen from under them. A lot of it is to do with things like the Koch brothers pumping money into the Tea Party people. Don't forget uh, that uh, David Koch was the libertarian candidate for the presidency. He wasn't a Republican. He isn't a Republican, uh, which is actually one of the more interesting things about him. But, but does he care about the Republican Party surviving? Of course he doesn't, because it's not his problem. 
what he's actually interested in is just stirring the pot, stirring the pot, hoping that eventually maybe he'll get someone a bit close to his uh, liking. I don't know. Yeah, that was Scott Walker, and now that Scott Walker's out and you know his puppet's out, he, I've read that he is not at this point uh, supporting any Republican presidential candidate at this time. Before we go to break um, and move on to uh, the adults in the room, as I've been calling it, we're going to hear some audio from President Obama and uh, the top two uh, Democratic candidates for 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. But before we do, I want to go to uh, Michael in the Bronx, who I accidentally uh, brought on before, but now I mean to. So, Michael, thank you for calling. You're joined by myself and Nicholas Wapshot. Go ahead, Michael. Evening, gentlemen. You know something? First off, Donald Trump, he has lost his freaking mind. All right? That's just starting off mildly. But I would love to take on him in a debate, and if he thinks he's going to turn around and talk down me and um, pretty much disrespect me, ho oh, oh, it's going to be get so ugly and make the wicked witch of the mess of the West look glamorous. Let me tell you, the thing is that he has a lot of gall saying that he wants people to give him a fair shake and want people to to treat him fairly. Uh, that's the pot calling the kettle back black because he hasn't treated anyone fairly. He hasn't treated any minorities fairly. He hasn't treated any Muslims fairly. Every single thing coming out of his godforsaken mouth has been nothing but malice and, quite frankly, his wish to do things that are totally unlawful and unconstitutional. And here's an interesting thought. Well, who would he have as his running mate? And the only person I can think of that is like Trump, it's Rudy Giuliani. And the only thing is, is that both of them are nasty. Both of them have little regard for minorities, for equal rights, for women. And the only difference is, while um, Donald Trump talks about he wants to do this and that, that is totally unlawful, unconstitutional, unconstitutional and malicious, Rudy Giuliani done that while he was New York City mayor several times and stealing um, taxpaying dollars and doing it. Michael, let me ask you a question. I think you bring up a great point about the pot calling the kettle black because, you know, Trump's essentially his his campaign is no Mexicans, no Muslims 2016. Um, and where did he get a load of meat? Well, and the other point I wanted to ask, uh, a question I wanted to ask you about, Michael, is you heard uh, uh, Nicholas, I think you were on hold, and Paul talk about how Trump, I think it's more accurate to say Trump isn't causing this behavior in the Republican Party. He is a symptom of it. It was already there. We've seen it in previous elections, and he's just bringing it out of the closet. I mean, do you think that's the case? Oh, yes, absolutely. He's just making he's just making it worse. You know, I cannot single him out because there's several Republicans that have been talking the same stuff, has been causing a lot of pain, causing a lot of injustice and violence, with their nasty rhetoric, you know. And the thing is, is that Donald Trump, and I think Nicholas made an excellent point of Trump really not wanting to be president. You know, he doesn't want to be president, but Donald Trump presents himself like he wants to be king and ruler of the world, just like the other names I mentioned, Rudy Giuliani, even perhaps even George W. Bush, for that matter. I mean, and I say George W. Bush because he was the one that says the Constitution ain't nothing but a goddamn piece of paper. Yeah, what? he was. He was the uh, uh, 
Oh, I can't think of something. There was a lot of Bushisms that we have in our uh, sound effects department. Maybe I'll have to. Uh, oh, decider in chief. That was what he called himself. Before we go to break, we're, uh, Michael, thank you for calling. We're going to go to the adult in the room, President Obama, uh, talking about um, how to handle ISIS and his thoughts about how the Republicans, including Donald Trump, uh, have been treating uh, the Syrian refugees. Our coalition will not relent. Destroying ISIL is not only a realistic goal, uh, we're going to get it done and we're going to pursue it uh, with every aspect of American power and with all the coalition partners that we've assembled. Uh, It's going to get done. At a news conference in Malaysia, the president once again defended his strategy for defeating ISIS. But instead of brushing off questions about his policy as he did last week, he acknowledged Americans are deeply worried. That we're not afraid to not elevate them, to, to somehow buy into their fantasy that they're doing something important. They're a bunch of killers. And we fight them. And we beat them. The president said he just may be able to join forces with Russian President Vladimir Putin to wipe out the terror group after the attacks in Paris and on the Metrojet airliner. I discussed with President Putin in a brief pull aside his need to recognize that he needs to go after the people who killed Russian citizens. And he called on Americans to show compassion to the thousands of Syrian refugees he wants to welcome into the U.S., despite poll numbers showing Americans are resistant to the idea. Refugees who end up in the United States are the most vetted, scrutinized, Uh, uh, thoroughly investigated individuals that ever arrive on American shores. The president also appeared to have choice words for Donald Trump. I want surveillance of these people. And the GOP frontrunners' proposals to conduct more surveillance on Muslims in the U.S. We must absolutely reject that we are somehow at war with an entire religion. Prejudice and discrimination helps ISIL. Knocked back on his heels after his initial response to the Paris attacks was widely panned, this sometimes more cerebral president ended this foreign trip speaking from the gut, urging Americans to avoid giving in to fear. Hello. How are you all doing? A point he punctuated with a stop to a refugee center in Malaysia, a visit Mr. Obama reflected on as he left the country. If you are a parent and you saw those kids and you thought about what they had gone through, the notion that we couldn't find a home for them anywhere in the United States of America, that is contrary to our values. We also, real quick, we're going to give you what Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders had to say uh, regarding the Republicans' approach to uh, rejecting the Syrian refugees right before we go to break. Here is former Secretary of State and 2016 presidential candidate on the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton. But we cannot allow terrorists to intimidate us into abandoning our values and our humanitarian obligations, turning away orphans, applying a religious test, discriminating against Muslims, slamming the door on every Syrian refugee. That is just not who we are. We are better than that. And remember, many of these refugees are fleeing the same terrorists who threaten us. 
It would be a cruel irony indeed if ISIS can force families from their homes and then also prevent them from ever finding new ones. We should be doing more to ease this humanitarian crisis, not less. We should lead the international community in organizing a donor conference and supporting countries like Jordan, who are sheltering the majority of refugees fleeing Syria. And we can get this right. America's open, free, tolerant society is described by some as a vulnerability in the struggle against terrorism, but I actually believe it's one of our strengths. It reduces the appeal of radicalism and enhances the richness and resilience of our communities. This is not a time for scoring political points. And finally, 2016 Democratic presidential candidate himself, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, on the same subject. In Cleveland Monday night, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders stepped in front of thousands of supporters and said now is not the time for fear-mongering. During these difficult times, as Americans, we will not succumb to racism. We will not allow ourselves to be divided and succumb to Islamophobia. We will not turn our backs on the refugees from Syria and Afghanistan. Those are how leaders handle situations like this, in my opinion. You heard President Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders in a very, very different tone than you heard fearmonger Donald Trump. But I'd like to know what you think. We have one more segment here with Nicholas Wapshot. Give us a call now, 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall with Nicholas Wapshot. We're going to wrap up real quick here. I want to get to uh, Reggie in Georgia. Reggie, we got about a minute for you here, so go ahead real quick with your thoughts. Okay, well, you got like you got people like him and Ben Carson and the Hate Talks on Hate Talk Radio and Fox News Channel all spreading fear, hate, prejudice, bigotry, and they are, they are may I say, terrorism, verbal terrorism on the rest of the world. And what's shocking to me about it is, outside of a handful, such as you, Nicholas, and Leslie, no, uh, people are the majority of Americans are afraid to challenge these people. They won't even challenge them, face them, fact check, correct them, or even talk, you know, or even you know, say that they uh, turn their backs on them, you know. I mean, it's like they're afraid of these people. You know, I think it's an interesting point you bring up, Reggie. There does seem to be some people are afraid to debate. People like this, because can you debate a crazy person or someone who isn't, you know, using the same facts that you are? Um, if you want to comment on that briefly, Nicholas, and then I'd like to give you the, the final minute here. So go ahead, sir. You're absolutely right. I mean, it is uh, it's a waste of time. As, you know, you ask somebody like Jeb Bush, who's sort of a rational creature. He might be uh, low energy, but he's uh, rational. He finds it impossible to deal with Trump. It's uh, because Trump has never seen a belt he didn't want to hit below. Uh, well, just just a couple of facts. First of all, if you really want to get rid of terrorists in this country, uh, their the favorite uh, weapon is the uh, assault rifle, or the fast rifle, as we've seen in Paris. Uh, the Government Accountability Office discovered that between 2004 and 2014, 2,040, 2,040 people on the terrorist watch list bought guns. You want to stop some terrorism? Stop terrorist people on the terrorist watch list buying guns. Uh, the other thing is that 
Trump's absolutely doing ISIS's business for it. What ISIS wants is for every Western Muslim in Europe and in the United States to be turned off by their society, to feel marginalized and put upon. And that's exactly what Trump is doing for them. Nicholas, I am sorry we're out of time. You did a wonderful job. Follow, us, Nicol- follow Nicholas on Twitter at nwapshot. That's W-A-P-S-H-O-T-T. This is Mark Rimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful evening.